Welcome to another episode of Cranked and Ranked. Uh, I'm Steven, a.k.a. Old Head, and with me as always is Mr. Eddie Sparks. Say hello, sir. God damn it, baby, you know I ain't lying to you. I'm only going to tell you one time. Yeah, yeah. If, if that didn't give anything away, I, I, guess you, I guess your average listener has no clue what you just did. <laughs> Because honestly, up until they isolated those tracks, I never paid attention to what he was saying there. I just thought it was him in the background making some noise. I didn't really know there were words in it. Yeah. (laughs) But for those of you who do know, then you know that we are uh, going to be talking about Van Halen. Um, uh, Oh, yes. So uh, so very quickly, for those of you who are new, Cranked and Ranked is a podcast where we rank the uh, discographies of bands or other topics from uh, least to best. Um, and uh, we have a huge discussion. And honestly, the discussion is more important than the ranking at the end of the day. But, you know, it gets our brains going. And it's fun to revisit not only some catalogs that we know very well and love, but some that, um, like today, that I know a lot of these albums, but they're also, for the most part, legendary albums by a, yeah. a band that uh, very appropriately had a lot of hype and popularity behind them since the beginning of their career. And um, and obviously, we decided to tackle this one because we recently lost Eddie Van Halen. Um, which Rest in peace. Yeah, rest in peace, which that's one of those deaths in a band that you... Sometimes somebody dies in a band and you go, oh, well, that's it. The band's over. Like, sometimes a yeah. band could lose, you know, a bass player or whatever, and they can carry on, but... I don't. I think it's probably unanimous to everyone that Van Halen is over. You know, maybe they could do like yeah. a tribute show with Sammy and Dave and the other dudes, and that would be cool and all. But um, yeah, so it's so it's appropriate time for us to go back and celebrate their uh, discography. Not saying I'm going to be nice about every album, um, <laughs> but um, I'm going to uh, be respectful at least. I guess I'm gonna try anyway. So um, as we've done in the past with some bands, we, we sometimes talk about where we started with our uh, uh, knowledge of, of a particular band. And for me, Van Halen is pretty much the band that got me into rock and roll. Um, I yeah. heard it was, the, it was the, I think it was the one-two punch of on MTV seeing the video for Jump and then eventually the video for Panama I think Hot for Teacher maybe came a little bit later in the album. I, I don't remember the order of the videos. But seeing those, I was just like, I love whatever this is. And I'd never heard music like that before. Like rock to me was, you know, the Beatles and things like that. Like hard rock yeah. hadn't come into my life yet because in 1984, I was six, I think, seven, yeah. seven. Um, I was six. But um, so soon after that, I got my parents to buy me a copy of 1984 and it led me down the path to where I am today of being a huge fan of rock, hard rock, heavy metal, all of that stuff. So I owe Van Halen a, a, a great deal because if they hadn't, if they hadn't broken big on MTV with 1984, I mean, I guess maybe I would have jumped on with somebody else, but I don't know if it would have been as potent of a beginning 
as uh, it was in 1984. So where did you come on board with Van Halen? I think as as well, j- just before I, I tell my kind of story, it's important to note that, you know, Eddie's, um, Eddie Van Halen's guitar playing changed the game completely oh, yeah. for yeah. like at least the next 14 years because you had every single glam metal and really any kind of guitarist doing any shred stuff everybody looked at van halen and thought fuck that sounds so good how do i do that even also if to my knowledge um I, i know that there were other really big guitar players you know like your jimmy pages and people like that but i almost feel like like uh eddie van halen brought in a new era of the rock god like the yeah. I think I feel like the the guitar hero maybe is what I'm thinking of because I I feel like that's the archetype for what the guitar hero is even though there were plenty of amazing guitar players before him I feel like yeah. maybe his his overall demeanor his flashiness his attitude and his style all of a sudden it became this thing like oh you got to pay attention to the fucking guitar player man you know and yeah. so yeah which ties in perfectly to how I found van halen because <laughs> in in 2010 when i was i think it was 2010 uh when i first got into metal um i was into pretty much just what i'd heard from the thrash band so you're talking at, at this point I, I was only like 11 so you're talking when i say thrash bands i mean metallica and a little bit of megadeth yeah but a bunch of other like modern bands as well at the time but because I've always been a gamer as well, Van Halen put out Guitar Hero Van Halen. Yeah. And so I was a completionist, so I was like, well, I've beat all the other Guitar Heroes. I have to get on board with this Van Halen band. So I went over to the computer and said to myself, right, look up Van Halen songs. Put it on. Had my mind blown because I was like, this is rocking but it's also fun in a fun way yeah. you know and and it's it really opened my eyes to say hey metal's great and all but this rock thing also has a lot of great stuff in it too because I, I wouldn't really call van halen a, a metal band they, they, they're, no. they're much more much more on the rock but i do think that a lot of those bands like that's the thing is all of you know, metallica megadeth all of those bands they all cite bands like Van Halen and Aerosmith and stuff like that that is is not metal as being yeah. influential to them. So in a way, you know, we can't have one without the other. So, you know, but I mean, you can go all the way back to fucking the kinks or some shit like that if you want to talk about influence, but still. Hell, you could trace it all the way back to like fucking Howlin' Wolf. Well, that that like, too, yeah. With the blues and shit. But yeah, it's it's... Eddie really was a, a a game changer, and he'll he will be truly missed. And and sixty five is no age, so yeah, you know, for especially for such a legend. And it's just it never ceased to amaze me what new thing he would have thought up by the next album. Because initially, when I started listening, like on the first two records, I was like, okay. I'm just going to have a great time this week listening to Van Halen do Van Halen. Yeah. But as it turned out, I, listening to the albums chronologically, I realized, hang on, 
I haven't heard that sound yet. And then he would just gradually add more stuff to his repertoire of, of, of cool sounds and noises. And, you know, obviously with the power drill and, and all the synth stuff that eventually came in as well. And just all of the crazy, like out of this world stuff he could do with his guitar. Cause he is one of those players as well, where, you know, it's him playing. Yeah. Like there is a distinctive tone and style to, to just how he makes that instrument sing. It's so, also, yeah. also from my point of view, I've always been the kind of person that I like two guitar bands because I like there to be rhythm going on when there's a lead. Van Halen is one of the few exceptions where I don't miss a rhythm guitar player. It's almost sure. like Eddie Van Halen did it so perfectly that it didn't matter. Like, I'm just like, whenever, whenever the rhythm drops out and he's doing a solo, I'm just like, that's fine. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. I, I, he, I don't need anything else in that song. And just, just to drop in here as well, their rhythm section has always been tight. Oh, hell too. yeah. Hell yeah. You know, Alex Van Halen on drums and uh, Michael Anthony on uh, bass. Like, damn. And, yeah. he, and, and Wolfgang as well. Does a yeah. fun, does a fine job. I mean, to, yeah. re really, everyone that's ever been involved in Van Halen to me is a very talented person. So, I mean, totally, it's just one of those things. Well, let's 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 uh, let's. We'll, I'm sure we'll get into these. We do we do diverge a little bit here and there, or whatever the word is, digress. Anyway, um, but uh, <laughs> but yeah. So, I, what we're here for is to start talking about the albums, and and we do it by ranking them from. Um, least to greatest. And so today's episode is going to be the, the bottom half. So they have 12 albums. We're doing uh, six to, no, 12 to, to seven. seven. Holy shit, man. <laughs> the coffee <laughs> hasn't kicked in yet. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah. So let's just jump right into it. What is your, your number 12 Van Halen album? Cool. So I, I as, as I went through and, and listened to all the albums, I, I realized very quickly that, you know, this is probably public opinion for for a reason. It it wasn't really ranked high anywhere else I looked. I, I like to peruse other people's lists just mm -hmm. to, you know, gain a familiarity and see how my tastes differ with that. But um yeah, I've gone for the album that is the same age as me. Oh Van okay. Van Halen three okay. from nineteen ninety-eight. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's also the only album to feature extremes, Gary Sharon on vocals, who, who, who's a singer that I love. He's a great yeah, singer. Totally. I, I'm a huge extreme fan. You know, pornography is such a great fucking album. Yeah. Yeah. But they, they, they get, they, we will get to extreme one day. Cause I think that's a band that needs more attention, um, these days. Cause I feel like they, they've been. They've been kind of left behind with with hair bands and stuff, and I don't understand yeah. why. So yeah, we'll get to them. But yeah, Van Halen 3. Cool. Yeah, right off the bat, I could tell that the production on it was a little weird. Like, certain things aren't where they should be. Yeah. Like, for example, to, to me, the vocals are very buried in the mix, considering what a powerhouse um, Gary is. Um and also a quick glimpse at the length of the tracks here showed me that perhaps <laughs> a lot of the tracks were going to go on a little too long, considering that, you know, aside from the album's two instrumentals that are under two minutes each, every other track is in the five to nine minute range. And 
for for an album that sounds the way it does and it, it I think it's an hour and five minutes long. I, th- I think that's probably just another casualty of the, holy shit, CDs are popular now. We need to cram 80 minutes full of music. Yeah, it back. almost became a thing where I feel like it, it, was, it was assumed that the record-buying public wanted more for their money. And yeah. so, you know, bands just started trying to fill up as much as possible, which in a lot of cases ended up turning great albums into okay albums because they include songs that, uh, you know, in the eighties when it was okay for an album to be 40 minutes long, those songs would have been left behind or put on a B side or something. Totally. Uh, so without further ado, as, as I like to do with my rankings, I do, I do a track by track. So, uh, yeah, we, we have at track one new world is just this like pretty little intro track that goes into this kind of crescendo bit at the end and then you get Without You. Uh, this is like a, a twangy, bluesy rocker with quite an uplifting chorus. But did it need to be six and a half minutes is my question. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, One I Want sounded like a kind of rejected police B-side in places to me. Um, From Afar is the first thing that st- stood out to me is, as a Van Halen song, uh, followed by Dirty Water Dog. It's another better track. It it has a real Hagar era feel to it, but without the heaviness and bite to it that the Hagar albums had uh, to an extent, of course. Mm -hmm. But um, once has this kind of ballad feel to it with an oh so 1998 drum loop in it. (laughs) (laughs) Probably didn't need to be nearly eight minutes, though. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. big thing about this album is that all of the song, all of them, I feel could be shorter, and the album as a whole could be way shorter. You could probably chop off a good twenty minutes of this record, and it'd be just fine. Yeah, <laughs> especially when you consider all of like the David Lee Roth albums were like thirty minutes long each. <laughs> yeah, um, you get uh, Josefina. Josefina is a nice twinkly ballad uh year to the day is quite a sprawling epic track um primary now i'm all about sitars so this is probably my favorite moment on the record because i love whenever a guitarist breaks out any kind of effect that turns the guitar into a sitar i love that sound it's probably why i love the chorus effect so much you know Mm. it just gives it that real wet sound to it that i just really enjoy um ballot or the bullet is a hard rocking song with a nice swagger to it and uh, how many say i is the final track and actually has eddie on lead vocals uh on this piano led ballad but really when it comes to van halen it's it's not exactly the the bombastic and adventurous band on the on this specific disc that you get anywhere else. Uh, I I think I feel like some of the album's moments tend to feel a little bit. Well, they they there's not enough interesting stuff to warrant the length of a lot of the songs. Yeah, and um, it wasn't an awful experience listening to the album, but I feel like it could have been vastly improved. <laughs> yeah, but, it's it's got a very confusing kind of vibe going on through it. Um, it, it, yeah, the, the one thing that I always, that always kind of, 
I hate about this album is the fact that they did get Gary Sharon, who's an amazing vocalist. And it almost sounds like he, I don't know if it was through just, maybe it was just some sort of a, of a, of an automatic thing that happened with him, but it almost sounds like at times he's trying to sound kind of like Sammy Hagar. Yeah, I get that a lot. And I don't know if that was intentional or not. Maybe the music just brought that out of him because he doesn't have that different of a voice from Sammy. But um, I don't know. It it just sucks that, that you know, he... I mean, I guess it's cool that he got to be in Van Halen. Uh, Van Halen? Why did I say it like that? That was weird. <laughs> it's cool that he got to be in Van Halen, but like, it's like, oh, you get to be in the one album that probably on most people's list is the worst Van Halen album. <laughs> And that just sucks. Um, yeah. But yeah. I, I, I'd like, like, my, if I was to appear on a, a Van Halen album, I, I'd like it to feel like less of a participation trophy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. It, it's, again, like I say, it, if I had to say, it's probably like a three out of five stars. Yeah. The big thing I remember about this at the time was that it was, um, it was kind of a letdown because prior to this album, it the rumor was that they were getting back together with David Lee Roth. They even made like a public appearance on like the MTV Music Awards or something with Dave. Yeah. And, and everyone was like, oh, they're getting back together. And I think they did like one song together on a Greatest Hits compilation or something. I think it was two. Two songs. Me Wise Magic and another one, I think. Yeah. And then that just didn't work out. Which yeah. kind of sucks, but you know, it once at this point, it's just history. So it's like you can't do anything about it. Um, but yeah, do you have anything else to add about a uh, uh, balance? Because uh, this is not my number twelve. <laughs> uh, I'd say. Oh, I just gave away my number twelve. <laughs> <laughs> um, Van Halen three is not my number twelve. Just, I'll edit that part out, or or I won't. <laughs> um, I, I would say the only other thing is like. Weird artwork choice as well. Like a, a, yeah. a fat guy having a cannonball fired into his stomach. I mean, it's cool. It doesn't scream Van Halen to me, though. That's the thing. N- but, uh, to be fair, uh, for the most part, they are a band with a lot of underwhelming album covers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're, 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 their music is way better most of the time than their album covers would lead you to believe. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's uh, Van Halen 3 at number 12 for me. Awesome. And since uh, everyone already heard my slip up, my number 12, I'm just going to jump right into it. My number 12 is Balance, the 1995 final album with Mr. Sammy Hagar. Hey. And um, for those of you who do listen to, to this podcast a lot and kind of get my vibe, you probably already understand why Van Halen 3 isn't at the end of my list. Um, and then balance is at the end of my list for the very reason that I've been come to known, be known for, because balance to me, there is very little to sink your teeth into on this album. Um, especially following, uh, for unlawful carnal knowledge, which was a really big album for them and made their sound pretty fucking big. Mm. And then balance to, to put it into perspective, um, when the single came out for Can't Stop Loving You in 95, w- young people who would you know, have been my age, I would have been uh, 17 years old, we were all rolling our eyes at that song. Yeah. Because it's like, oh my God, it's fucking 95. We don't expect you to be grunge, but 
you don't have to make dad rock now. <laughs> and luckily for Van Halen, old people were still buying records. And so that song was perfect for the, the guy who used to rock, but now he's an insurance salesman. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, I can't stop loving you. And, um, and so we went out and, and then they, they bought the album. So the album was still successful. So who the fuck am I to say anything? But really, my big problem with this is I, I did what Eddie did. I went back. I had heard all of these albums before. And the only two that I didn't know as well were this album and a different kind of truth. Those were the ones that I'd had the least experience with. And I went through all the albums, listening to them from the debut all the way in order to the last one. And when I got to this one, it was just, it felt so unadventurous and not even, it almost felt like it wasn't even a rock record. Even though there's rock in it, the vibe of the album is very just like, I, I don't know. It's, it's hard. It's hard to explain. It's just... It, it to me it feels like you can hear in the album that that version of Van Halen had run its course, mm. and it's it's in the songs. You can hear them in the songs, and the problem with that is that the performances and a lot of the you know things that pop up here and there in the songs, it's clear that this is still a fucking amazing band, just kind of phoning it in, not really making that great of a record, and. Um, uh, a, a big gripe that I have with the album 5150, which we'll get to later, is that it the, the word that comes to mind when I hear it is cheeseball. It's very cheeseball rock. <laughs> and the cheeseball factor comes back in balance. And unfortunately, in 1995, like I said, I didn't expect them to, you know, become grunge or pop punk or whatever the fuck was happening in 95. <laughs> but there's a big difference between Van Halen in the 80s. The cool thing about Van Halen in the early 80s was that they continued to make Van Halen albums when there was punk, when there was disco, when there was new wave, whatever the fuck it was, they were just like, fuck you, we're Van Halen, and it sounds great. Yeah. This is, is like a... They are still trying to do a fuck you or Van Halen, but the the attitude is not there. So it's like, fuck you, right? Or no, F you, because we can't curse now. It's a very like <laughs> it's a very censored Van Halen in sound. And um I I, I don't want to say that they were out of touch because like I th I've seen I think I've seen reviews of this album where people said it sounded like they're they were out of touch with what was going on. And I'm like, I don't care about that. That doesn't matter to me. Um it is just one of those things where the album, just like the Van Halen 3, is too long. It's 53 minutes long, which is that's not horrible. But with the kind of songs that you're getting, there's no it, there's no momentum that carries you through this album. It's just kind of okay, um, middle-of-the-road rock things that happen to have amazing musicians playing them. Yeah. And so that's why it ends up at the end for me, because... There's very little for me to talk about album-wise because I could talk about how great Van Halen are as musicians, you know, till I'm blue in the face. But when when you're actually talking about songs, I'm like, yeah, there's just not a lot here, and so that's why it's my number twelve. Yeah, totally get that. I wasn't as offended by that album in in particular, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I will say it 
it it's not high up on on my list. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So for me, for my number eleven, I've gone for different kind of truth. Oh shit! Okay. So this album to me, it, I I put it on and. The very first thing you hear is is tattoo, and tattoo is exactly what I'd expect from an '80s big hair act playing in the modern day, mm-hmm. adapting to that modern hard rock sound. And to be honest, with regards to some of the other songs on here, it is not the best opener in no, my opinion. It, it, I think it's my least favorite song on the album. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, because there are some moments in it where I just kind of think, oh, no, is the rest of the album going to have these like <laughs> these like cringe moments in it? Like, not that the whole album is cringe, but there are some moments where I thought, come on, Dave, give me a break. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm curious if Tattoo, I'm clicking on it real quick. Yeah, so I was curious if this was, if Tattoo was one of the ones that w- that stemmed from a 70s song, and it is. Wow. The song structure is based largely on a song entitled Down in Flames, which was written in 1977, played back in their club days. So I don't know if you know that. Did you know that about Different Kind of Truth, that a lot of it is scraps from back in the day that they decided to make into songs, or they were, you know, kind of songs already? Um, yeah. I, don't think, I don't think that's all of them, though. I think that's just some of them. I have heard that some of it was using, like, material from way back when. but Yeah. Yeah, I didn't which, know Tattoo was one of those. Yeah, which I think is kind of cool, especially now that we're living in this the the era of Mr. Bungle <laughs> doing, yeah. their, doing their old school demos. For some reason, <laughs> the idea of bands going back and getting their sort of left behind songs or demoed songs that didn't make albums, I'm like, yeah, put those out. I think yeah. in, in 2020, I feel a lot different about that. I'm like, just don't, re, <laughs> don't re-record your well-known stuff. Go get the stuff that like you didn't want anybody to hear and then let, let us all hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's something fun uh, about that, though, isn't there? Like those kind of high school era musings from bands and stuff. Like, yeah. just deciding, do you know what? This needs to see the light of day at some point, and that's that's why I love that new Mister Bungle album so much. But yeah, uh, and but the, I feel like this one. I won't. I won't interrupt you too much. I feel like this one has that quality where it feels fun. And, and that's, I think that's why, because they, they reached back to these things back when they were probably not overthinking things so much and went like, yeah, why don't we just go with the flow and have fun? And those scraps from back in the day helped them make this album. And I think that's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of uh, uh, bittersweet at this point, but it's, uh, yeah. it's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I would agree. It, it's, it's very much a... Uh... It kind of, it's like a hybrid between two eras of the band. It's Mm -hmm. like, it feels like, yeah, they're they're a lot older now, but they've got this material that still has the the youthful energy. And um, important thing to mention as well, this was their first album in 14 years. Yeah. Like there was a big gap between this and Van Halen 3. And unfortunately, it, it... we didn't know it at the time, but it, it is the final Van Halen album as well. 2012, it, it came out, Different Kind of Truth. Um, but yeah, songs like She's the Woman. Now, now this is better, like much more energy on that track. Yeah. Um, you and Your Blues, it's another typical modern hard rock track. Uh, Chinatown, on the other hand, is one of those up-tempo Van Halen tracks 
that I adore. I love it when they do that kind of up-tempo, swingy kind of thing. It really has that kind of rock and roll vibe running through it. Yeah. And, uh, like, you know, songs songs that sound like Hot for Teacher, really cool feel whenever they break that out. Um, Blood and Fire sounds like a, like I said, a genuine hybrid between the classic and the new Van Halen. Uh, Bullet, Bullet Head, sorry, uh, is this upbeat and heavy track. Again, like I see, you know, it, the the bottom of the list is still okay, but here it, it has a it has more balls to it. Yeah. Um, as is, there is some heavy guitar on that track. Um, Honey, baby, sweetie, doll. <laughs> not not the most fortunate title, but it's this intense up tempo Van Halen with this Eastern edge, which you know I like. Um, the trouble with never is David Lee Roth using his charismatic talkative vocal style as much as he can. Um, now out of space is a great glam metal kind of track, but mm. I have this aversion to social media sites being specifically addressed in <laughs> songs. Yeah. Like, like, please, Dave, don't say the words my facebook page in a fucking song my myspace page <laughs> yeah because <laughs> like nothing dates a song more than things like that and i know that you know social media is still very much a thing in our lives to this day yeah well but, luckily luckily facebook yeah. is a thing that has gone on long enough and has had big enough of a reach that i think it'll be in the history books Whereas yeah. if he had been on there and been like, on my Friendster page, <laughs> like nobody would have known what the fuck he was talking about. <laughs> Just like MSN or yeah. something like that. <laughs> but yeah, um, Stay Frosty is clearly the ice cream man of this album. Yeah. Um, Big River is this plodding groover. And then Beats Working is this fun, hard rock song that closes out the album. All in all pretty damn good album from considering it's like recycled material that was forged into a new album from a much older band yeah and i gotta say it doesn't start great with on track one but once you break that first track damn yeah you know and not only that like don't you think like uh david lee roth sounds really good on this album i, I know yeah that, that it's in the era of having you know uh auto tune and stuff to help with pitch and stuff like that but just his performance he, he it's almost like he became a better singer and i know that he did if he evolved as a vocalist but he really brings his a game here like he like the, the i've only listened to this album now three times all the way through since it came out and and every time i'm always like man because you expect oh it's dave it's david lee roth you expect him to maybe sound kind of like an old man still trying to do the rock and roll kind of singing but no he's still Mm. i don't know how good he is today but on this album (laughs) he fucking pulls it off like i i'm I'm, he's i i believe him you know did you ever see just just while we're, we're talking about old man energy uh, with David Lee Roth. Did you ever see that fucking um, video of him? He's walking through like a hotel lobby or something. Uh, not a lobby, a, a corridor. 
and they hear Van Halen being played from like one of the rooms and he goes in and he's like, hi, I'm David Lee Roth. I'm, I'm the singer from Van Halen and nobody knows who he is. <laughs> and he's just like this, you know, the old boomer at the party now that's just kind of there. And it's, it's, it's really funny, but, um, yeah, he's always been a hilarious dude. Um, yeah, I agree. And there's another one as well. I think there's a compilation somewhere of all of his crazy moments on his episode of the Joe Rogan Experience, and it's oh, just. I, I watched that last one that he did on Joe Rogan. I just I like hearing Dave talk. He's just really entertaining. Yeah, someone put together all of like the the crazy wild moments he has, and it's like a fever dream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, what a character. Um, but yeah, that is my uh, number 11, cool. different kind of truth. Um, yeah, so I'll, uh, spoiler alert, we're not going to talk about this album on this episode for me. Ooh. So, um, But I am going to quickly jump back to where you began, because my number 11 is Van Halen 3. And um, so not to, not to rehash what Eddie had to say, because... Um, I feel, I feel the same way about a lot of it. Um, although I do have to say the song without you is probably, it might be in my top 10 of Van Halen songs. Like I think that's fair. It's really good. I mean, the album version is a little bit, I feel like the video version, which is a little shorter is, is more appropriate, but I don't know what it is about it. It's the sort of the sort of the the attitude that kind of comes across in the verses and then leading into that really big sort of uh, upbeat sounding chorus, it just sounds good. It sounds like a very inspired song to me. And I, I always, I like hearing it anytime it comes on. But that's kind of the standout moment. They Like they picked the best song for the lead single. And yeah. Gary Sharon, I already said it. I think he's a great singer. Um, recently on one of my old head on the porch episodes, somebody asked me to choose between Dave, Sammy or Gary Sharon. And I said, well, as a singer, I'm choosing Gary Sharon every time as a Van Halen yeah. singer, I'm choosing David Lee Roth every time. Cause I think Gary Sharon, especially in extreme, because I guess he had more room to, to experiment and do different kinds of vocals in extreme, but, um, dude's a hell of a singer. And, yeah. um, I'm with you where I think that this might be the worst produced Van Halen album, or at least the worst mixed Van Halen album, because it just sounds off. Sometimes the drums don't sound loud enough. Other times the vocals seem buried and it's very weird. It's a very awkward album to listen to. Now I, I didn't, I didn't put this last because at least there's enough different shit here. Like you can tell that there is some kind of attempt to try different things. And so I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Do I want to listen to this album again? Not really. Uh, so that's yeah. why it's, it's, it can't go much further on. It's on the, the merit of what they tried to do. And I really do think that, the 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 worst part of this album for me is that i it makes me feel anxious like <laughs> i'm i'm rooting for these guys like oh yeah and then they keep falling off the horse like during yeah. the song something will happen in the song where you go oh no come on i i i just want this it's like it's like in a horror movie where the the girl's running away from the killer and she keeps tripping and falling and you're just like ah yeah. god damn it just 
look where you're going. <laughs> and that's, that's kind of how this album makes me feel. Like I so badly want them to nail it. And then it just, something happens and I go, oh no, never mind. Yeah, and, um, I, I would agree. <laughs> so basically they get a lot of points on this album for me for effort. Um, but other than that, without Use a Great Song, the album's too long. I like Gary Sharon, but other than that, it's uh, it it sounds like it really does sound like they they. I think probably when they started the process, they it, maybe they had some fire underneath them. Like we're gonna do this again. We're gonna reboot Van Halen again. And then by the time they were recording the album, Michael Anthony had already been kicked out or left or whatever happened. And yeah. and then the album just didn't do very well. And it's just it's an unfortunate thing, but. Um, we are once again, as I like to say about bands like Van Halen, when you're talking about the worst, you know, couple Van Halen albums, they're still a lot better than most bands best albums. So, um, (laughs) I'm going to give them that because it's still, they're still an amazing band, no matter what they're trying to do. Um, I just think that this, the, this has too many issues going against it to have it rise above into, a an album that I would consider great. It's just, it's just okay, you know. So that's it. That's my Van Halen 3. Cool. So for my number 10, I've mm-hmm. gone for your least favorite. I've gone for Balance. All right. Now, I will say, the first time I heard Balance, I wasn't impressed at all. Yeah. And this, and, and this was like five years ago, so I haven't heard this in a long-ass time. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I stuck it on... The Seventh Seal surprised me, considering when this came out, the mid-90s weren't too kind to Van Halen's type of band, you know? But this, to me, was at least a great opener. It's not really breaking any new ground, but and albeit it's got a little too much top end from my taste production-wise. It's a very fizzy album. There's a lot of cymbals and treble, I found, but... I still think, you know, there's some quality stuff on here. It's just not it's not the innovative type of stuff that we'd like to hear as a next step from from Van Halen. Yeah. Um Can't Stop Loving You. It's catchy. Um you know, D- Don't Tell Me has my favorite chord progression, I can't lie, the Iron Maiden progression. You know, dun, <laughs> the, dun, dun, I, dun. I thought uh, of that when I was listening to it. I was like, oh, it's the Dirty Diana thing. He loves that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. You, you, can't beat, you can't beat Diana progression. It's so it's, <laughs> Let's just call it the Dirty Diana progression. Yes. I, I'm totally <laughs> Although it was, it was done way before that, but that's the one that always <laughs> comes to mind for some reason. You know, that's probably a better way to put it now that I think about it. I've been calling it the maiden progression for so long. And while it is, like, that kind of takes some explaining, I'd rather just narrow it down to one song and yeah. be or, able to or say... Or call it the mother progression. True. True. So. Hell yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, getting <laughs> off, I'm getting off track here. I'm, I'm, I'm indulging too much in, in the Diana impression. Impression? <laughs> progression. I've, Whatever. I've, Totally gone off of the fucking rails. So um, Amsterdam has a has a groovy feel to it. Again, you know, I approve. Um, Big Fat Money. It was at this point in the album that I was wondering if it was going to place higher than I initially anticipated. Because this song tears it up. 
you know, it's strung out. It's this weird, spooky instrumental that sounds like the soundtrack to a horror movie before going into a full-on power ballad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, Aftershock is just standard hard rocking Van Hagar. Um, Doing Time is this crazy wild world, wild world instrument. Ah, what the hell have I got in my notes here? <laughs> what did I what did I write here? Fuck. <laughs> I don't want to sound like I'm reading off a script, but I, I what the fuck? I think I I, th- I put instrument twice. <laughs> Doing time, crazy wild world instrument instrumental drum solo thingy. I, I found it hard to describe. Were you a little high when you, <laughs> when you wrote that? <laughs> I was high on Van Hagar, bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And, the, oh, this is great. I get to follow it up with this fucking thing. Baluchitterium? What the fuck is that? Baluchitterium? Baluchitterium. Your your guess is as good as mine. I, I, I thought it was a totally different name, and now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, it's Baluchitterium? <laughs> Balu Cherry Terrium. We're sticking with that. I thought it was like something like Balacious or something because I never bothered to really look at it. And I'm like, well, evil Balacious is not even a, really a word. And then I'm like, oh, it's not even what I. That's not, that's a weird thing that your brain does where you don't you think something says one thing, yeah, and then finally you take a really close look at it. You're like, that says nothing like what I thought it said. <laughs> But like, it, it, admittedly, as hard as it is to say, the groove does go pretty hard. It, it this song to me has an almost adrenalized era Def Leppard feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely sense that kind of thing from this specific track. So uh, the so, Balu is an animal. No, no. Is it? Even trying to look this up on on Google, it's still confusing. So it has something to do with something in prehistoric times, whether it's an era or an animal or something. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to derail us, but I was curious. And now that I usually you go to Google and you get an answer. <laughs> <laughs> but Google is just like, fuck, dude, fuck you, dude. We're busy. This is, this is where we find out there's just one really obscure article, like seven pages into Bing. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my research later. I'll figure it out. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> Take Me Back is, is this half half ballad, half rocker kind of track. And then Feeling is, is a moody track to close out the album. It's pretty epic sounding way to end the record. I've got to say... I'm more impressed than the last time I heard it in about five years, but it doesn't, you know, much like the the previous two albums in my list, to me at least, they don't stand up to anything beyond this point. So the next, to me, the next nine albums are a huge step up. Yeah. Like, I'd say the bottom three are in their own kind of, like, camp, and then the, the the top nine here on in. But yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. cool. Um, well, so I, 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 I was telling Eddie before we started that I feel like when I was doing my ranking, I tried to be diplomatic about it. Like I found myself 
looking at things and being like, well, I need to be fair to this aspect of this. And, and so like my, my, I had a kind of a gut reaction kind of, um, ranking. And then I went back and kind of looked at it like from afar and went, okay, I, these are where these are going to go. And so, um, to stop this from being a, uh, hating on Sammy Hagar half of the episode, <laughs> I'm, I'm including a, a David Lee Roth era album right here at hey. num- number 10. Um, Wait, and that- l- l- let me guess, let me guess. Okay. Is it Diver Down? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, Diver Down. So the reason why I said I was being diplomatic, if that's even the correct word, is because if you were going to ask me a question like, would I rather listen to a Hagar or or Roth era album? I'll always say Roth. I don't, I don't care what album it is. But just trying to be fair to these albums and the, to the career of Van Halen and what they were actually doing, you know, whether or not I was into it or not, I'm looking at the intent and the 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 execution and the final product. And when it comes to Diver Down, so Diver Down was the fifth album. And at this point, Van Halen had been doing an album a year since 1978. Yeah. Almost to the month. It's like every spring, Van Halen would put out an album. And finally, in 1982, they put out an album where it was pretty clear that they didn't have enough songs or barely any songs because Diver Down, as fun as it is, and as much as I love hearing early Van Halen with David Lee Roth, there are five cover songs on a 31-minute album. Only yep. four actual original Van Halen songs are on this album. And it's almost like a it's it's almost like a glorified EP glued onto a covers EP. Yeah. And I have no problem with cover songs because, you know, they do a good job with a lot of their covers. And, and you know, you could look at this album as, oh, this is just supposed to be fun. And they're revisiting some older songs that they love. And I'm fine with that. But if you're go- going to to rank them with the original shit that they did that was fucking great and them trying to push themselves forward, this has to go here. As, as fun yeah. as it is, it doesn't matter. And... A weird thing also, and maybe you noticed this too, up up through this album, it's almost like the production style is exactly the same on every single album. It's like the, the what is his name? Ted Templeman, is that his name? Uh, yeah, yeah. Ted, so. Ted Temple, yeah. Templeman did every album through 1984. And it, on these albums, it, it's almost like, he had the settings already ready to go on his board and the band came in and recorded their album and he just got a little bit better at tweaking it. So the sound does get better, I think, with the albums, but the overall, you know, having the guitar in just one channel, you know, and then maybe some reverb in the other and just yeah. the, the whole style of it, it's like they just did not stray away from that at all. And at this point, when there's nothing new going on in the songs and it's the same old, same old production-wise, it it really kind of makes me go, whoa, okay, well, this is, this is, this isn't great. Um, so it makes me wonder, did they intend to do an album like this? Were, or were they burnt out or, or were they rushed in this, in I this think, case? 
I read somewhere that a lot of the, I think the members have all said they went into the studio and they weren't really prepared. So it was kind of rushed out and, you know, it shows. Yeah. And, th- <laughs> and know, that's they- not to say that it's bad stuff. I mean, honestly, I like the the Pretty Woman cover is fine. I'm actually more interested in the Dancing in the Streets uh, cover because yeah. the weird like staccato guitar stuff that goes through the whole song. Like that is so cool. It's almost like their version of the song is way cooler than it should be. Like it's a song, it's a song that overall I don't really like. I don't care if it's (laughs) David Bowie and Mick Jagger doing it or whoever the original uh, performer was, was it, it says here it was written by Marvin Gaye. I don't know if he was the first person to perform it, but um it, it's gone through many, many yeah. versions. But it it it's way cooler than it really should be. So I kinda I kinda dig that. So I'm not gonna dog on this album because it is it does have cool things on it. But um just the fact that aside from that, the standout track to me is Little Guitars. I think that's a great song. But yeah. one great song with some good songs and a whole bunch of covers doesn't make a great album. And um so I, I, I put it here, although like it was higher up on my list, but, but I started to really pick apart things and I'm like, yeah, you know what? I can't, I can't just, you know, let Dave run the show all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to point out when the band did something that I don't think is as great and Diver Down is, is that album. So that's my number, what am I at? 10, number 10. Which is totally understandable because it is my number nine. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So yeah, th- this is a huge step up in quality, but it is, in my opinion, it has it. Well, it it has the least original material to offer. Yeah. So you know, especially, it's half a cover album, half originals. So, and when you think about it, like how many of the album's tracks are full on songs as well? Because one of the tracks is little guitars intro <laughs> and then you get little guitars yeah and then um, well, and then you have the song cathedral which yeah um i i don't remember exactly what that see that's how i've heard this album probably a few dozen times and i still go cathedral which one was that but it says here it's only a minute a minute 23 and then intruder is a minute and 39 that's so. the one that goes okay 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 cool <laughs> so yeah, there's really not a lot to sink your teeth into here, is there? In in, in terms of original full-on songs, not really. There's cool guitar moments, but a lot of it feels like fluff. So yeah. Where have all the good times gone? The first of many covers here. It they're good ones, mind you, but the, yeah, the quantity yeah. the quantity of covers on this album does take it down a peg. Um as there's simply not as much original material compared to their first four records. Uh, Hang 'em High is a is a fun up tempo Van Halen track. Van Halen doing what they do best. Cathedral has that awesome church organ like guitar playing from Eddie, really showing off the endless voices he's able to get out of his guitar. Mm. I think doesn't he do that like cool volume knob kind of thing with that song where he's kind of like fretting the notes but he's like accentuating oh. it with the volume knob is he is he doing that with a pedal or a knob because i know you can get volume pedals also to do that with but i mean either either way it sounds cool when he does it 
Yeah, I've seen Ying Van Malmsteen do it as well. I think it's called I think it's called violining as a, as a trick yeah. to make it sound much smoother. But um, yeah, it's just really cool to see him do these these solo spots on each album so far, for the most part, that just really show off these innovations he's pulling off. Um, you get Secrets is this laid back groover, uh, Intruder. Is the first appearance of the power drill. Uh, Eddie was a true innovator and will be missed dearly. And stuff like this shows us that the guy was a forward thinking genius. You know, that I can't really think of anyone else using like power tools on their guitar. Uh, <laughs> Sp- the, Spinal the Tap did. <laughs> they did. When did Spinal Tap come out? That was, that was 80, 83, 84? Yeah. Yeah. Did, um, that's then, a great movie. <laughs> <that's>, yeah. <laughs> uh, I love the fact as well, just while we're on a spinal tap thing, I, I love the interview where they're doing, where they're talking about why all their drummers died. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I like spontaneously combusted. <laughs> did, did he, did he use a power tool or am I mistaking it for that part in the movie where he does the Jimmy page thing with the bow, but he actually plays it with the violin. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Either way, you know, oh, that's man. a good movie. We'll talk about it. Sure. We'll, we'll, do, we'll do a ranking of our favorite rock and roll movies, I guess, sometime. That might be fun. Hell yeah. We'll, we'll need to do it around, like, the Oscars or something. Yeah, we'll do our own Oscars. That, we'll, fuck it. We'll have a red carpet <laughs> event and everything. We'll just do it outside of each one of our homes. You know, nobody will know what the fuck's <laughs> happening. I'll, I'll wear I'm a gown. I'm just imagining, you know. I'm just imagining like all of the dog walkers walking past, see, see, <laughs> seeing me presenting a show that's not even airing. Like, <laughs> thinking, wow, he finally cracked. <laughs> but um, yeah, Intruder leads straight into, oh, Pretty Woman, uh, <laughs> which is this, uh, the, the classic Roy Orbison song given the Van Halen treatment. And then straight after that, you get Dancing in the Street, which, as you said, is a really cool take on the song. Yeah. Uh, then you get Little Guitars intro. intro. And then you get Little Guitars, which is just a fun 80s rock track. It's, it's great. Uh, I love that song. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just the moments that shine here really shine. Uh, it's just solely based on the how on the quantity of what is actually a Van Halen song. But um, Big Bad Bill is Sweet William now. It's this old-timey show tune kind of track, kind of foreshadowing of David Lee Roth's Crazy from the Heat EP. Um, <laughs> the Full Bug. I love when Van Halen goes fast and swingy. There's a, there's a real charisma to it, like a, a 50s rockabilly vibe running through that kind of stuff. And uh, finally, Happy Trails uh, is a fun little acapella cover, which ends the album. And in a way, it, it's it's fun to see that this album isn't really taking itself seriously. It's just it's just a disc of fun. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, uh, that's how I, I tend I, to look at it. I kind of wonder um, because I was so young at the time, I had no I had no clue what this album was or who the band was, but. Um, in 82, because to me, a big problem with this album is it follows Fair Warning, which to me is a really good album. Yeah. And so I wonder at the time if maybe this was a disappointment to a lot of fans. 
Um, and uh, I don't know. I mean, in, in the in the grand scheme of things, you know, you it, you can make the argument that at least it's something different. The band you know, just had a little bit more fun with stuff. And I, I don't have any problem with that. But um, yeah, it's just, you know, it's the it's the worst David Lee Roth era album in my in my opinion, not yours. Well, I guess yours is <laughs> yours is a new. That's a different David Lee Roth era. That wasn't even an era. That's just an album. Yeah, don't, don't listen it, to me anymore. It's kind, kind of an outlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, then uh, let's continue with my number nine, and this is an album that got moved up. I think a spot because of my being diplomatic and I, I I'll hate it if I'm using that word incorrectly, but I'm just trying to be fair to these albums. I think and that's fair. My number nine album is the album 5150. Wow. The, the uh, debut of the Sammy Hagar era of Van Halen. This is in 1986 and really it's, it's one of those albums where you got to give them a lot of credit. Same with like, you know, a band like ACDC where they already had a huge career and fan base. And they, I mean, I guess in, in ACDC's case, they didn't have a choice, but in Van Halen's case, they split with David Lee Roth and then both of them continued to have successful careers. I guess you could make the argument that Van Halen's was more successful, but um, um, that alone is a really great achievement with this album that they they did it they managed to do it they just said you know what we're going to bring this other guy in who was already known like sammy hagar already had a career he wasn't some guy you know they didn't find him at home depot and he could just sing the songs and they put him in the band yeah he uh he had his own thing going on and sammy hagar you know um he's a great singer that's um one thing he's got going for him and uh and Really, I think that a big thing that makes this album not so bad to me is the fact that it is a progression from where they were before. They didn't just redo 1984 with Sammy Hagar on vocals. There's there's a shift in, yeah. in not, not only the songwriting, but also in the production style. This is the first one not produced by Ted Templeman, and... It has more of a I when you're talking 1986 it has more of a modern 80s sound to it. Yeah, there's and, a lot more a lot more keys and synth yeah. and stuff. And and, well, and and the one thing that I had I had forgotten when, when I first started listening to this I'm like there's synth drums. Yeah. And I I was like is that yeah, like toms and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> especially like on the song Get Up like uh, you can really hear those those synth toms on it and it's that's that's very of the era. <laughs> that's not a thing. That, you know, some people like to do throwback kind of shit. Synth drums haven't come back, you know, <laughs> well, with I, that particular sound. It, it's funny you should say that, actually, because um, I'm a big fan of the, the synth wave kind of stuff. Yeah. Huge, huge for that. But there's... They, use, they use that sound, that same 80s style drum sound? Oh, yeah. Synths? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they, they, that's like a core part of the core part of the synthwave sound i'll have to send you some recommendations but the um oh what is it there's a song it's it's a pop song it to be honest i've heard a lot of pop songs recently and it, i've i'm kind of pleasantly surprised 
at the quantity of gated reverb drums returning to pop music because I'm starting yeah. to think, you know what? If if Miley Cyrus puts a fucking gated snare in one of her songs, I'm thinking I might listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> and if I hear like if I start hearing stuff that goes like do 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 do. I'm going to be on board, you know. <laughs> I, 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 have a, I have a feeling that if that sound does fully come back, we only have Phil Collins to thank for it. <laughs> because I feel like that, the in the air tonight drum fill has gotten so big on the internet that yeah. people are probably like, hey, can we just make our drums sound like that? Yeah, I've, I've been I, trying to for the last five <laughs> years. <laughs> I have no problem with that. But, um, but yeah, so this does have a real 80s kind of feel to it. Uh, um, but still very big. It's very. Yeah. It's a very big album. It still feels like Van Halen while being a little more poppy, I guess, especially with the song Dreams. Yeah. Um, I do not like that song. Um, I don't think it's awful. I just feel like... So my the vibe I get from this album, and I'm sure that there'll be people chiming in in the comments to correct me. Um, that's fine. But it feels like this is a Sammy Hagar album that he just got Van Halen as the backing band. So it's got all of the great chops of, of Eddie Van Halen and Michael Anthony and Alex Van Halen. But the songs feel like they, they're, they're not they're, There's an attitude that is gone. It, hmm. is, it, it doesn't. So here's I, I'm going to I have a uh, what do you call it? Um, a comparison because I was always trying to figure out what is it about Sammy Hagar that doesn't feel right to me in Van Halen. And I figured it out. So it, 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 it kicks in and it's not so much on this album, but on, on maybe the next one with Sammy Hagar, when Sammy Hagar sings like sexual style lyrics, <laughs> it sounds weird. And I figured yeah. it out. It's because when David Lee Roth sings sexual style lyrics. He sounds like a man who has had sex with hundreds of women. <laughs> Sammy Hagar, <laughs> Sammy Hagar sounds like a man who has had sex hundreds of times with one woman. <laughs> he it, knows it, what it, she likes. Yeah. Like. He's like, he's very just like, he's still, he's, he's still kind of sweet with it. Yeah. He's going to, he's, he's not going to leave in the middle of the night. He's going to make her breakfast in the morning, but he's going <laughs> to do it hard when they're doing it. And so, and so it feels very like sort of, all right, I, 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 and I know that that's not the case. I know from, from all accounts, Sammy Hagar was just as big of a whore as the rest of the band. But, uh, but um, it just, it, that's what it is. It's missing some swagger, some, uh, not, not on this album, it's not just him. It's the songs. They sound very watered down while still being big rock songs. It's and almost- so that's. It's 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 like Sammy's gonna make love to you, David Lee Ross gonna power fuck you until about six a.m. <laughs> That's well, that was put a parental advisory on this episode, folks. Oh wait, there is one I think. Explicit lyrics, and um, so really, like like I, I do give them a lot of credit for this album because they just went for it and gave it their all, and and this is not them retreading the same old shit. They they fully came out with Sammy Hagar doing things that he didn't sound out of place on. Yeah. It, it sounds, it sounds like a really interesting and, and well done transition. Um, 
I put it lower on the list mostly just because I think overall it's weaker, not only like in vibe, but in songs. Cause you know, why can't this be love is a, it's a, it's a good song. It's got a cool groove to it and I actually like it. Um, and it doesn't really have anything to do with, with pop sensibilities getting into their songs because later on when I talk about OU812, I will say very a lot of nice things about that album. And that has a lot of poppy elements on it. Um, this one just feels um, kind of like a, an odd transitional thing. And the songs haven't lived on with me the way other albums have. Like you, you know, as much as Jump was considered like, oh my God, they've gone pop. That's a song that I hear today and I still go, ah, it's, it's still pretty fucking cool. Whereas Dreams, I'm like, all right, you know, this is, this is your father's rock and roll, <laughs> you know? And, um, and so, yeah, so it just doesn't have enough of what I love about Van Halen in the album. But once again, it's still a fucking amazing band. Four really talented dudes just, you know, making an album and it was successful. So once again, like I always say, who the fuck am I? They, they <laughs> did it with this album. So that's, but yeah, so it's my number, where are you at? Nine. My number nine is 5150. Well, I'm a lover of all things eight-ish cheese ball, so that's much higher <laughs> up my list. Um, I had a feeling. <laughs> but um, yeah, this one, this one so far, this specific placing is probably my most controversial so far. Okay. So for my number eight, after weighing up the David Lee Roth era albums, I came to the conclusion, the next one up from Diver Down mm-hmm. had to be Van Halen 2. All right. I Honestly, I have no problem with this. This yeah. is not controversial to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, to me, this album, I mean, they had, they had a huge album to follow up. And probably bigger than they expected. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, (laughs) you know, I I don't think any band, regardless of how much confidence and swagger you've got, 100% knows that their, their debut is going to be a absolute hit, but following up the mammoth task of making such a phenomenal album just a year later is going to put pressure on you. And it doesn't. And they probably, honestly, they probably didn't even have a year's worth of time to work on this because. Oh yeah. I don't think Van Halen blew up immediately. I think it was a thing where, I mean, it was quick, but I think, you know, it it, it started to become super popular, and the record company is probably like, uh, "You guys got more songs," and they were like, "Oh uh, yeah," and then they, you know, they went to work. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't like they were on a cycle because they had no clue if they were going to be successful enough to have a cycle of albums going. So yeah. they, they soon found out that they, they needed to get their shit together. That's the thing. It, it doesn't start with as much of a bang as their debut, and it isn't quite as memorable, but it's still very good, though. Uh, it starts with You're No Good. It opens the record that, with like a slightly more laid-back feel and sounds like a more, yeah. it sounds like a more mysterious Running With The Devil. It's weird. It's because it's not only is it a cover song, but it's a slow tempo it's a very underwhelming beginning to an album following the 
Van Halen one, which I guess at the time it was, it was successful, but you think about it now, how monumentally, uh, uh, big that album is in not only just in people loving it, but it influencing people. And then their yeah. second album, they start with this song and it's just like, mm, you guys could have moved that later on down the, the track listing there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, on the, on the flip side, dance the night away is a great sing-along track yeah um somebody get me a doctor fantastic riff excellent gang vocals um Mm -hmm. you know van halen might not have been the first glam rock band but you can tell from listening to them that every 80s big hair act wanted to be them so i would credit they were they were the the beginning of it all yeah, that L.A. You know, strip kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that all of those bands that got big in the 80s, every single one of them would say Van Halen is their biggest influence, I would say. Even fucking Bill and Ted mentioned it. We won't be, like, the best band until we have Eddie Van Halen on guitar. <laughs> That's right. Um, then you get Bottoms Up. Yeah, you know, God damn, that song rules. Every time I hear Roth era Van Halen, I just want to party. And yeah. they have such a good time vibe about them. I don't know what it is, but they make me want to just pile up a stack of 80s movies and invite a bunch of friends around and just fucking drink until the sun comes up. Yeah. But, you know, oh, there is something about Roth era Van Halen that just makes you think, whoa! <laughs> yeah, it's, um, just, it's just, it's, there's, it's, um, there's something to be said about getting a vibe across that everyone just connects with and everyone has a good time. Yeah. While still making music that, you know, critically people could look at it and go, it's really well done, you know? That's the thing as well. Like, Out of Love Again has a dancey groove to it that you, you, you can't help but surrender to. Light Up the Sky has this mean up-tempo hard rock sound. So it... it it's not like they were lacking in in variety. They could just get that vibe across throughout a variety of different feels, and I th- I think that that classic rock and roll feel running through all their music. There's something to be said for that. Um, and then you get Spanish Fly, which shows us that Eddie doesn't just shread on electric guitar. <laughs> yeah, you know, he can do it acoustic too. Like you guys um, remember Eruption? This time it's on acoustic guitar. You can make an you can make an argument for that being the first ever unplugged. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Well, no, okay, we, we we could go back to Led Zeppelin. <laughs> True. Like, oh. <laughs> True. <laughs> they did. They started throwing in the acoustic guitar quite a bit themselves. Oh man, like Led Zepp will be one we'll have to do at some point too. Absolutely. Yeah, um, but. DOA or dead or alive has, 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 has a bendy riff in it. Has a bendy riff. So good. Um, women in love, juicy chorus intro, like, Oh, yeah. the Eddie sparks chorus seal of approval and, uh, beautiful girls has this great riff and this great groove that kind of throws you off at the start. The yeah. the riff has a certain feel, and then you realize it's it's on a different beat the way it starts. Yeah. And the first time I ever heard it, I was like, I know where this is going. Oh, 
I don't know what is happening. <laughs> and um, it's, it is a good record, but when you scale it up to the first record, there is a, I feel like there is a drop. It is a noticeable drop. Yeah. But then they, yeah. they do pick it up again. They do, they do that, pick up speed again. That's, that's why I don't think this is a controversial choice. Yeah. For this particular spot. Um, are you done with uh, with Van Halen 2? Yeah, I've, I've wrapped up Van Halen 2. Um, so um, while I don't disagree with you pretty much on anything you said, this is not my number eight. Um, my number eight um, is... Uh, uh, we're just going to... I'm going to move one album further from where I was and talk about... Oh, no, two albums further. Uh, For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge from 1991, which is the third album with uh sammy hagar on vocals and this was an album that i owned on cassette i i uh the the single for pound cake came out and i was like oh shit this van halen because i was already into van halen um yeah and i i at the time i was i was actually really big on ou812 so when this came out i was pretty ready for it but once i heard pound cake i'm like all right this is heavier and it's cool and it was it was early 91 it was like well i think it was the the beginning of the summer of 1991 when this came out and so it i didn't know that we were only a few months away from grunge yeah. <laughs> no, no nobody knew and <laughs> Um, really, I almost feel like Van Halen may have, have seen the writing on the wall because they amped it up for this album. It is a heavier overall and bigger sounding album than they had done pretty much ever. I think this is probably at this point, the heaviest they had sounded with the guitars being really loud. They even took Alice in Chains on tour with them, didn't they? Or was that later on? No, it may have been around here. I, I mean, that would make sense. Yeah, um, that that would have been a hell of a fucking show, um, and this album was like super successful for them. But um, really, like the the big thing for this with me, why I put it above um, fifty one fifty, is because of all the things I was talking about, where it, it feels like it's not really a Van Halen album. This feels to me more like a Van Halen album. the The attitude is there, and it just feels I don't know. There's a momentum to it that. Um, they, they, they had, I don't know. I feel like it was there with, with, uh, OU812, because obviously I haven't talked about that album yet. Yeah. But this one feels like the band kind of just got their shit together and, um, made some cool fucking kick ass rock tunes. It's, it's one of those things where it, by the, by the time you get to 1991, you know, they'd been together well over a decade and they just continued to prove themselves as a, of, of, a vital, a rock and roll band that just wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. And while I do think that the second half of this album gets a little weak, the songs get a little more middle of the road, kind of a little bit boring. Um, the second half does have the song right now, which was the biggest hit off of this album. Yeah. And the thing that I think is so fascinating about right now, now I, once again, this is something that some really huge Van Halen fan could probably correct me on, but all these bands were very quickly falling out of fashion because of bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam, which came out when this album was doing its you know cycle and everything. Yeah. And the single 
the single for right now didn't come out till 1992 Mm. and it was a hit and the album continued to sell. So whatever it was that Van Halen did, they survived grunge. I mean, if you think about it, like their album came out at a time where it could have easily just dropped off the fucking charts and they could have been like, well, we have one more single to put out and then it would have come out and nobody would have given a shit because that happened to other albums that came out. But for some reason, right now hit a hit a chord with people the mtv viewers which i was one of them and um i didn't think it was that great of a song and so i was a, i was kind of of blown away by how big it got and i'm like you know what well, well good for them cuz i i love the fact that they are a story of a band that stuck to their guns when it came to making their good time rock and roll and i guess right now is a more serious song but just the fact that they they made it out the other end with this album. Yeah. And still ended up putting out one of the biggest songs of, of the, the early nineties. I mean, it was so big. It was on fucking, you know, television commercials and shit. Didn't Pepsi use it? I think. Yeah. yeah. I think, I I believe it was for Pepsi clear. Crystal Pepsi. Crystal Pepsi. Ah, fuck. There you go. I've always wanted to try crystal Pepsi. If they brought it back yet, did they do like a a limited edition? They may have, but from from what I remember, it was just Pepsi with no food coloring, so it just tasted like Pepsi. It was just clear. That's so cool, though. Like, there's there's something mind blowing about that. <laughs> yeah, and so I mean, I I'm fine with that. Like, I, I I always think it's weird when you think about different kinds of foods, and you're like, yeah, it doesn't really look this way. They put food coloring in it. I'm like, well, why do they need to do that? Just you know, if it <laughs> just. But I guess you know a lot of it is visual with people, and so you're sometimes that is true. Sometimes I'm thirsty in a way where I want my drink to be brown. Yeah. <laughs> other times, other times <laughs> I want it to have a more lively color. <laughs> and anyway, so um, this album is is uh, um, it, it's not my favorite Sammy Hagar era album, but it's really good. It does have some weak moments on it, but I really do uh, think it's a huge it's a huge win for the band because I think that it was just um, it didn't feel like they were trying to follow any kind of trend or anything, and yet they still managed to be successful. Um, which is, I think, that's why. Them making it out of this period of time, I think that's a, that's the thing that kind of solidified them as one of the most important bands ever because it's they weren't just a band that had a bunch of hit albums in the 70s. They came out of the late into the 70s, popular in the 80s, into the 90s. Like they they made it. They they made the shit happen and all without, you know, altering their sound. You know, when when, when as much as yeah. I talked shit about balance, they didn't they didn't try to to fit in with the times. They just did whatever they felt they needed to do. And um, yeah, so for unlawful carnal knowledge or fuck is my <laughs> uh, my number eight album. Cool. I, I'm noticing a little little bit of a we, we've got a good rhythm going because my number seven is for unlawful carnal knowledge, otherwise known, otherwise known as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, uh, Pound Cake is a fucking banger. You even did an old headbangers ball with that video. Watched yeah. it, loved it. And I noticed it as well. You said like fashion-wise, they looked a bit ahead of the curve too. You, there, was, oh. <laughs> there was flannel present. And yeah, Hagar, Hagar was wearing flannel pants, I think, too. Yeah. A shirt. He was, all, he was ready to go. He was decked out. Um, 
Judgment Day is a high-speed, kick-ass rocker. This yeah, is precisely the kind of music I break the speed limit to. Uh, Spanked is this groovy, sexy song complete with funk guitar playing in there. And very, now, date, very dated because everyone was doing songs about sex hotlines and yeah. stuff. <laughs> and it's like, all right, guys. One that always sticks in my mind is uh, Girls of Porn by Mr. Bungle. I, oh, yeah. I, 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 that's one of those Bungle tracks that I can get a good chuckle out of because it was definitely designed to just be funny and good. <laughs> I think for people that 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 um religiously watch my content, they're gonna be like, just shut the fuck up about Mr. Bungle already. <laughs> <laughs> oh I just I I've been on a real bungle thing as of late. It's just such they're just too good. They're too good. Agreed, agreed. You, um, but you know who also is too good? Van Halen. Van fucking Halen. So uh <laughs> Sound Target, Sound Target. Uh <laughs> We got Run Around, uh, it's a typical hard rock song of the era. Uh, Pleasure Dome has a big time Achilles Last Stand vibe to it. I, it's a really cool song. Uh, In and Out is uh, just this swagger rock track. Man on a Mission, another swagger rocker. Uh, the Dream is <laughs> Over, straight ahead rocker. Um, right now, I'm doing a podcast with my friend in America. Oh, uh, <laughs> I, had to, I had to make a little reference to the video. Right I'd now, Stephen is doing the music with his mouth. <laughs> right now, I'm stalling for time. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we could do, we should do like a a parody of that video. Oh, that, oh yeah, that's <laughs> that's real timely. <laughs> Let's do. <laughs> you know what? Somebody hasn't done a parody of the right now video. Oh wait, they did a shitload of them in the nineties. Uh, That's what we should do. We should just start doing making jokes that are not relevant at all today. <laughs> just be like, yeah. it would be cool. It would be funny so, for me anyway. So you heard of these things called like corded phones? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, iPods, what was that all about? <laughs> I got this thing, it has a little wheel, it, it clicks. <laughs> Christ, yeah, <laughs> we'd, 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 we'd burn out of fucking material quick. <laughs> well, but, I, mean, um, I mean, if we really wanted to do it, there's, there's a gold mine of things we could talk about. <laughs> um, I have a question. Sure. Th 316. Uh, it's a pretty guitar interlude. Does three one six have any significance to anything, or is it just like a? Um, is it an area code? I mean, it might be. It might be an area code, which is for phone numbers and shit over here. Ah, uh, could um, be. But I don't know. I mean, they they like to put numbers in things, and sometimes you know what they mean, and other times you don't. Um, yeah. This is when somebody out there chimes in on a comment to let us know what three one six means. Hey, get the viewers involved. <laughs> yeah, you, you guys are you you guys are doing it for us. We don't want to do any fucking research. We got too much to do. Hey. Oh wait, hold on, hold on. Oh. The instrumental three one six is named for March sixteenth birthday of Eddie's son Wolfgang. Oh, that's nice. March the sixteenth. There you go. Hey, Wikipedia saves us again. Always, always coming to the rescue of, of <laughs> podcasts. <laughs> but um, yeah, Top of the World has that end credits feel that album enders should. 
And yeah, like like I said, since Diver Down at number nine, we're in damn good territory. And their legacy is pretty darn stellar. So uh yeah. I'm I'm a hand it on over to you. Sweet. Well, um, let's wrap this episode up by talking about an album that we already talked about. Um, so we're my my number one of the bottom half of Van Halen is the uh Van Halen 2 album from 1979. And um I don't really have a whole lot to add from what Eddie said on Van Halen 2. It is um it is a letdown in the the if you're listening to the albums in order, like this album on its own is is great. Yeah. Um following Van Halen 1 it it even starts off kind of like, oh, okay. Underwhelming. And, um, yeah. And, you know, there are great songs on here. Dance the Night Away is a great song. I love Beautiful Girls and the song. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. Um, no. Uh, the, the, the song is great. It, it has a... That's the one thing I really like about Van Halen, especially the, the first David Lee Roth era, is that they they didn't have a sort of set way that they wrote songs. No. They, and so you would hear songs that had a little bit of a different groove or a different approach melody-wise, and Beautiful Girls is like that. I don't think there's another song by Van Halen like Beautiful Girls, and it just yeah. has a cool, it has a cool, like, easy-going, strolling-the-beach kind of vibe to it. Maybe not the beach, but you know what I mean. No, I could see um, the beach. I could definitely uh, see that. It just feels really good. And um, once again, like I'll, I'll point out with all the Roth albums is that it, it, it does um, have very similar production style to Van Halen 1. So it's, it's e- even more it points out like, oh, these songs just aren't quite as good as the songs that were on the first album. And I really do think it was because the, the success was unexpected. Yeah. And so... You know, I think probably they had they had good intentions and they knew that they made something great. But how are you ever supposed to know that something's going to connect with millions of people? Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I, I feel like it was probably the sort of thing where they, the record company was probably like, hey, you guys need to fucking get back in the studio. And a lot of people always make that, it's a very uh, um, cliche thing where they talk about how a band's first album, they've had many years to put it together. yeah. And then they have probably six months to put, you know, their second album together, especially back in the day. That's the one thing that's so different because the music industry isn't as thriving as it was. But if it was, I bet we would still have that sort of album cycle where it's like, hey, do you want to be in a rock band? You record an album in a few months. We put it out. You go out on tour. You writing songs while you're out on tour. You come back. We, you know, next year we got to work on the next album and get it out there. And honestly... With a lot of these bands, I think they put out great material because of that. I think we talked about that with with another band. We may have been, may have been Judas Priest. I'm not quite sure who we were talking about, but it was yeah. another band where they put out albums really close together. And to me, like sometimes having that fire under your ass, like it's just you. Sometimes you put out some cool shit, especially when you're a band like Van Halen. Yeah. Unfortunately for them, I don't think they had quite enough time, and so. The album just doesn't have the same mind-blowing punch that Van Halen 1 has. Um, It's just a little bit underwhelming. It does have its high moments. It ends on a high point. Um, It's all very well done. It's, it's, 
it's by no means a bad album. Yeah. It's it's just uh, it's it's uh, it's underwhelming in, in the grand scheme of things with Van Halen. Not as underwhelming as Diver Down, but um, unfortunately, this one did have to follow up this big album. And second albums are pretty hard. That's why that's why second albums to me are so fascinating because some bands make their best album the second time around, and then other bands. You know, you, this band, you can make the argument for like Guns N' Roses. Like people could say, Use Your Illusions nowhere near as good as, as Appetite for Destruction. And I think the same thing happened with them, where I don't think there was any expectation that that album was going to fucking blow up. But they had more time to work on their second album. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, it's just, it's hard putting any David Lee Roth era album in the lower half just because I enjoy all of them so much. But like I said, being being diplomatic and i'm like yeah i gotta give credit to the things that i think you know deserve some credit and um this one uh just doesn't stand up with a lot of the other stuff so that's why it's my number seven yeah number seven and the final album we will discuss today cool yeah i i would say for me i'm a pretty 50 50 split with um roth and hagar you know i love both eras but for for different reasons uh, yeah. So yeah, it kind of shows in my list, especially uh, especially later on. I won't reveal anything, but uh, <laughs> well, that I it, honestly it makes the the albums they put out with Dave with the sorry with Sammy Hagar. Like I said, they didn't just try to retread shit with a different singer. So that's why when somebody does say I prefer the Sammy Hagar albums, I go, well, I totally get it because it's not like yeah, it's just a replaced singer they moved on as Van Halen and while still retaining what made Van Halen great, which is, I mean, I love David Lee Roth, but you know, the three other dudes in the band, like that is, that's the only thing that disappoints me. And we'll next time we'll talk about a different kind of truth a little bit more, but it makes me sad that Michael Anthony wasn't involved because at the end of the day, I don't know these people. I never met them. I, I didn't get to spend time with them, so I don't know who's an asshole and who's not, who's hard to work with and who's not. All I know is that Michael Anthony is such an important part of their sound, not just yeah. bass playing, but vocally alongside. Yeah, yeah. And so I just wish that he had been there at the end. And I have a feeling that if, 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 uh, if, if um, Eddie hadn't gotten sick like he was i think that they would have come back around yeah and maybe done one last thing but that's unfortunately that's just speculation at this point but uh, we have heard from them that everybody at the end had made amends and i guess that would make sense because if i was you know dying of cancer i would probably like to tie up all my loose ends and be like look you know you know when you're faced with with death you being an uns- insufferable prick doesn't really, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't really bother me as much anymore. I'm on my deathbed. You, we're, <laughs> we're cool. We're brothers. We went through a lot of shit. I mean, imagine having, I don't mean to get, to get deep just on part one of Van Halen, but imagine, imagine having that kind of life, knowing that you changed music. Like you, like you could say Van Halen. No, oh, no, it was Eddie Van Halen. Sure, yeah. the band's fucking killer, but what does that feel like to be on your deathbed? You know, some people get to gracefully grow old and die of old age in their 90s or whatever, and he didn't get that. But how does it feel 
to be like, you know what? I didn't get it, but look at all this other shit that I got. You know, like I was, I was born with whatever, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I do believe that there's something in your DNA or in who you are when you're born that allows you to achieve the things that you achieve. And whatever combination of things were in his, in his you know, brain and in his body that allowed him to become the guitar player he was, like that is, that's a miracle to me. Yeah. Like that's fucking insane. And it also makes me, you know, curse, you know, my parents because like, fuck, I became me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, too hard on yourself, dude. I'm a, I'm a mediocre guitar player at best and singer and songwriter. But you know what? There are people that can't do any of those things at all. So who the fuck am I? I'm not, I'm not going to belittle people for who they are. So yeah, anyway, um, it, I, I think about that a lot just because, you know, it, it hasn't been that long since Eddie died. And um, it's been like a he month. Wasn't, he, yeah, even though Van Halen is not an out, not a band that I listen to all the time, they are undeniably important, not only in my life, but also in the lives of probably every band I love. So, yeah. you know, so there you go. Part one of, of Van Halen. I hope you all enjoyed it. Do you have anything to add before we wrap it up? Uh, I would just say, you know, he was a, it, it, it's very easy to, you know, understate how much Eddie actually changed, you know? And, and mm-hmm. I mean, as in like the whole thing, because people tend to think of, you know, when, when you say guitar, a guitar hero, people will jump to, you know, your Jimi Hendrix and all of the kind of bluesy ones beforehand, you know, they, yeah. generally in that like kind of proto metal era, that like late 60s, early 70s kind of thing. Eddie, Eddie Van Halen changed the fucking game for every guitarist that followed him. Yeah. Like... And and I will I will say it now, you know, the, the I don't know if this this sounds bad, but like the glam metal era or the eighties metal era began with Eddie. You know that guitar sound and that big over the top soaring lead and shredding stuff he was doing. Sure, like certain bands were doing similar stuff like i I, th- I think of boston but like they weren't game-changing guitarists that were like crazy crazy innovators whereas yeah, yeah. It, you know yeah boston might have changed up some songwriting techniques and stuff and and really elevated a production sound at least to my ears, but yeah. Van Halen changed the playing. And, and well, I th- a lot of it has to do with his execution of it all, because a lot of ideas that he used weren't completely brand new. No. Like you can, you can go back to, I'm sure there's other examples, but the one that springs to mind that I've seen is there's, footage from the mid seventies of Ace Frehley in Kiss doing the hammer on technique in his yeah. guitar solos. Now he didn't do it anywhere near as well as, as Eddie Van Halen did it. <laughs> and so it's almost like it wasn't even noticeable. Like you, I like, I, I hear it sometimes like, Oh, he was doing that. It's kind of rudimentary, but Eddie Van Halen was the guy that took these things and said, you know what? I'm going to make this into a fucking art form. 
Yeah. And, um, and so, but it, I, I, that's why I think that it, that his innovation is great, but I really feel like he, his execution, how he did it is what made it amazing. Like if somebody else had done the things that he did, I don't know if it would have resonated that way. Cause he just had his way of doing it. That would just was like nobody else. So yeah. Anyway, so yeah, we could talk about Eddie probably for hours, but, and I'm sure we will, I'm sure we'll end the next episode talking about Eddie some more, um, or maybe we'll, maybe we'll spend that time talking a lot about, uh, David Lee Roth, <laughs> because <laughs> there's, there's a lot to talk about with that guy as well. Um, and he's still living fortunately, but, um, anyway, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's the end of part one of our Van Halen discography and, uh, discography ranking. And as usual, I ask everyone, especially on, on the YouTube, um, you know, put your, your thoughts down below and please remember that we don't claim to be right. This is just a discussion and and it's our own personal opinions. And neither one of us is ever, ever going to say that our opinion is the end all be all of what everyone should be thinking. It's, um, just our experiences with the music. And so, um, if you want to put your experiences down in the comments, feel free to, to do so. Um, because I realize, I realize that everyone has their, has their era. Everyone has their album, you know, that yeah. did it for them. And, um, that's, what's amazing about Van Halen because you bring up, you bring out any of those other bands. Let's just pull out Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin's career ended. Like they didn't prove themselves in well into the eighties and into the nineties. Yeah. Who, who knows if Jimi Hendrix had lived, he may have made some really shitty music in the eighties and then it faded into nothing. And people would have been like, Oh, remember when he was really cool. And so the fact that Van Halen was around long enough to be like, look, not only, you know, did we change the game, but we had longevity and we were relevant. Yeah. You know, so that's pretty amazing. So yeah. Anyway, before we go on for too long, (laughs) um, that is the end of uh, episode one of the Van Halen. Uh, We'll wrap it up next time. Thank you once again for listening or watching on YouTube, if that's how you're doing it. By the way, if you're listening as a podcast, we have YouTube channels. Mine, if you look up Old Head Podcast on YouTube, you'll find me. If you look up Eddie Sparks, S-P-A-R-X-X, um, you will, uh, <laughs> you'll, you'll find Eddie's page. <laughs> and we have some interesting shit, so go and uh, give, us a, give us some of your time. Um, anything else to add? Are we good here? Uh, just want to do another little update on maybe stuff coming to my channel soon uh i've cooked up a little little extra video to 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 tide you all over and and, until part one of the black sabbath thing is out because i know i've been hyping up the black sabbath video uh i've had to break it up into into a few i've had to break it up into a few videos because simply put my computer at this point probably would have a fucking aneurysm if i tried to tried to export anything longer than like 20 minutes <laughs> it's not doing well for storage space right now but uh yeah aside from that i've made a little made a little maybe a little grungy video maybe a little little thing delving into oh, that and I've, okay. I've had a little fun with it and it was a quick little fun project i i put together in a few hours but uh yeah should have some other stuff coming soon too but uh cool. aside from well, yeah. that and if, if you're here on YouTube, look down below in the, in the description of the video. I always put a link to his page. So go, go watch his shit. Um, so, yeah, thank you all for, for watching. We'll see you again next time. Eddie, take us out. 
Lay it down! 